It's a total joy for me to hang out with you a little bit and look at God's Word in Luke 15. And that's what we're going to do now. Uh, Hopefully you've found it. It's about 90% into the Bible, Luke 15. There's Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And we're going to look at a parable, which is simply a parable is a story that Jesus would tell, a story with a point. And there's, there's stuff here for those of you who are exploring Jesus and exploring Christianity. You're here wondering, like, hey, would this seem true, coherent? For those of you who are like, do I want to continue hanging on, seeking to live as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus? Do I really believe this? Is this real to me? There's stuff here. Uh, there's stuff here for people who have been Christians for a long time, too. And Jesus gives us a picture, actually, of what sin does and God's response to it, what God is ready to do. And the, the picture of sin is really important because we tend to think of sin as like a ridiculous, ridiculously low speed limit. You know, when you're in one of those neighborhoods where you're just like, why? Why 10 miles an hour here? Like, what's the big deal? You know, if I ignore this, the universe is not going to explode. Why? Why, God, have you said what you said? Um, it's in our hearts. And Jesus gives us a picture of sin, and then it gets even better what God does and his response. So that's where we're going. Let's dive in. Follow along with me. I'll start reading in verse 11. And he said, this is Jesus, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, even in those two sentences, there's something going on that we tend to miss because of cultural distance. It doesn't sound like a bad deal. It sounds like, Dad, give me my share. Could you just do that, please? And because of the cultural distance, we miss the fact that this would be, imagine saying to your parents, hey, when you die, I'm probably going to get some stuff. How about give me that now so we can break off a relationship? Would you just liquidate what I would get and give me that now? I want it now, and I'm I'm actually planning to walk away. It's as if you're dead. It would be uh, deeply insulting, deeply hurtful. And the picture that Jesus, how he begins to describe sin, it's relational with God. There's a relational thing going on with God immediately. And he asks this, and what's crazy, the father... The picture Jesus gives us, the father does it. The father gives his son who made this request this. And it would would have been a public thing. People would have found out about it. It would have been embarrassing and a shameful thing. It's not like, you know, he's got a a pocket full of gift cards and he can quietly slip out the back door. This is a public deal. And the father does that. And then follow along what the younger son does. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything." And the original hearers of this would think through, okay, what was in the younger son's heart, what we suspected was there, 
is now completely revealed. He wants to be far away from his father, and he wants to be far away from his father's God. Like the, even the land that God had promised and the promises that God had made to a people, the younger son is actually intentionally running away from that to a place where idols are worshipped so he can do what he wants. And the, the word used for reckless living, the, the Greek word behind that, it connotes uh, the desire to not say no to yourself. Like there's things within them. I'm just going to take the emergency break completely off. There's going to be no governor or slowing down. I'm going to do, I want to do these things, which it feels familiar, right? There's a piece of that in all of us. And uh, it has some sexual overtones and includes like just your standard one-on-one partying. And he runs out of money. He's out of money. And he thought, he probably obviously thought it would work and thought it would be great. And there's a rock bottom. And he's in need. And he's alone. And the picture of sin that Jesus gives, sin distances us from God. And it degrades us. It, it messes us up. Things are ruined. It has this ruining effect. And, it, and it's actually, look, God's not anti-pleasure. Because it can sound like, okay, God's the fun police. God makes rules about stuff we want to do. And that's the heart of God. Actually, everything that blows our hair back about this world, the things that we're drawn to, and the beauty of sexual intimacy, the joy of friendship, good food, music, poetry, mountains, everything that we're drawn to and the pleasures that God created to be enjoyed, it's all from God. And yet God says that when we live for those things, like we make that our God, pick any pleasure and make that our God, we'll ruin that pleasure and it'll actually ruin us. Like a a sex addict gets less and less out of sex and so needs more and more to achieve the same high. And it's like that with greed or with standard, like sin wrecks stuff. Uh, Bitterness ruins love. Greed ruins generosity. Worrying wrecks peace. There's this heavy picture that Jesus gives. Sin wrecks stuff. Uh, I I come from a family of warriors. It's like a ninja art passed down through the Huber family. Perfected. This is how you do this. This is how you like, you know, worry. And worry, worry wrecks peace like pretending I'm in control, it always ruins stuff. And it degrades. You don't have to be a Bible expert to know that, okay, this is an Israelite young man who, what animal is he not supposed to hang out with or eat or chill with or work with? Pigs. And there he is. In this place, how did he get here? Wishing he could eat what they eat? It's a picture of his low point, which is actually, in every sin, there's a part where, yes, this is awesome, this is going to give me what I want, and then the bottom part, well, this didn't work out the way I want, and I must need more, or I must need to, I, I must need to achieve this differently. We can think differently at the bottom. He's at the point, and he's wrecked. He's degraded. He's dirtied and degraded. 
And then there's this great turning point. Okay, look at the next verse. But when he came to himself, what's that saying? It's like he lost himself before. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he practices this speech, and he says in a respectful, ancient Israelite way, I've sinned against heaven. Very respectful. Jews are very respectful of God's name. And so saying you've sinned against heaven is a super humble way to say, okay, I've, this was actually was personal with God. Uh, like we tend to think like, hey, what I do is my deal. Um, it's between me and myself. And if it makes me feel bad, maybe I will quit doing it for me. But this is, a, this is a whole nother thing that he's acknowledging, God, this was actually, this involved you deeply. I've sinned against heaven, and I'm, he's going to say to his dad, I've, sin, I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the original hearers of this would say, yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. Dude, you gave the middle finger to our town on the way out, you know? Uh, you obviously wanted to leave everybody. You shamed your dad. You do not belong here, okay? That's what they're thinking. That's this guy. And then look at the picture Jesus, give us, Jesus gives us. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy, worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Let's just... Let's just go through this. The son appears in the distance. There he is. The father sees him. And before his silly little speech happens, he runs. This shocks people in the Near East today. A dignified father, you know, think patriarch, long beard, robes, does not run. Little kids run. It's like it would be an embarrassing thing to be seen doing. And the father is overcome with compassion and love for his son and runs to him and kisses and embraces him before he said anything. And his son, has been, the younger brother's been practicing the little speech in his head, and so he launches into it. I've sinned against heaven and it's against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And it's cut off with these gifts. Now think through the gifts for a second. The first one is the robe. Bring quickly the best robe. The father cuts him off. He smothers him with love, cuts him off in speech, and gives him the robe. Who would own the best robe? The father. Who would inherit it one day? Son. What was he saying? He's saying, the best thing I have, I give to you, because you are a son. 
You are a son again. You were gone. You were lost. Uh, but you're found, and I delight in you. I delight to receive you. And you are, though you forsook me and left me, I receive you, I forgive you, and you are a son. And actually, the other signs, it might even be a signet ring, like a, a family ring. Uh, servants would go barefoot. Daughters and sons would have shoes. He gives them all these signs of sonship. And because communally there was a rejection, there's a communal celebration. Okay, this isn't like killing the fatted calf. It's not like let's get really great takeout. It's pizza night. This is a once in a lifetime kind of party. It's like a wedding reception or something. You would only throw this kind of party maybe a couple times in your life. You invite everybody. You saved this animal for this. There's no fridge, actually, obviously. And so you're going to, for a few days, sing and dance and celebrate and have this meal that would be like at a wedding reception. And we're just going to rejoice about what happened. This father is Father God. Uh, these, the symbols obviously stand for something. The father is Father God. I remember um, being in the back row of a membership class in 1992. I was fresh out of college. I was convinced that, okay, what God wants to do in the world, he, needs, he wants to do in a church, and churches can be crazy and weird and do weird stuff, but I've got to try to find the best one I can. I know it won't be perfect, but I'm going to try to jump in and learn about stuff and live this out because if there's what Jesus wants to do in this world, he wants to do through his people. He wants to have communities that are shaped by his grace and mission. And so I need to like dive into that and explore that. And I'm in this kind of like covenant class. Like this is Christianity. This is like the way in. And I'm sitting in the back row with a baseball hat on backwards and a pastor's walking through this parable. And um, this is also where I was in my life. I was dating the girl I would one day marry, but I was really uh, not not kind to her in that relationship. I was discharging the anger from my dysfunctional family and partly my relationship with my dad discharging that. It was like built up in me. It was like the static electricity, just things I touched got shocked. And the people closest to me got shocked most often from my anger. And just out of control in a number of ways and just really not doing the stuff that Jesus says a life with him will produce in your life. I'm like, I believe this is true. I believe this is, I want this, but I just... I needed people in my life, and I needed to be discipled and grow in the gospel. I needed help. And this pastor is explaining this, and I, I teared up in the back row just thinking, if this is true, if that's really, is that God's heart for me right now? Is this just for people who are just turning to Jesus? Because it's definitely for that. It's like for you, if you're ashamed of what happened last night, and maybe this morning was a morning after, or you're like, you don't know how many times I've been with Jesus and then walked away, or you don't know what I've done or how I've failed. It's definitely for you. Is it also for people who have been Christians a long time? 
and just realize, man, I am not, like, grace does not flow out of my life, and the things that God calls me to are not being produced in my soul and in my heart. It is. (laughs) And actually, God's delight in us, it is rejoicing over us, is part of what fuels change in our lives. It's his presence in our life, but the joy of forgiveness and receiving God's love in Christ, knowing the love of the Father, is what softens us and changes us. It gave me a new ability to confess my anger and just own it. I used to be, um, I still struggle with this, but um, if I was a superhero, I would have been the blamer. This is a joke, like the first, first couple years in the marriage. The blamer has a supernatural ability to explain why it's not my fault. It's actually yours and yours, and it's usually my wife's. A supernatural ability to blame stuff on other people. And knowing the grace of the gospel gave me new freedom to just own stuff. Yeah, I totally did that. I spoke super unkindly. I was just mean. I was a jerk to you. And I'm really sorry. Like those words started to come out of my mouth. And then our new marriage, more frequently, there's just a softening. And what changed was knowing and experiencing the love of the Father. Um, We need this to be true, and it is. Rembrandt, the artist, uh, I think think of him as a brother from another mother because of how he, he did this famous painting on the prodigal son. And if you look it up later, it's super warm. There's the father's touch on the younger son. And it's, it's an interesting story because, you know, some artists are unknown their whole life. And then later people find out, Hey, you're brilliant. You're amazing. Rembrandt was a, a rock star in his lifetime and he was wealthy and yet he got in debt because he was, did stupid stuff with money and he was married. And yet, uh, later there was moral scandal with various people. And I think at the end of his life, he was drawn to this painting because he had sketched it earlier. And there's copies of the, the sketches that he would do, real rough. The end of his life, he was drawn to this passage because he knew and wanted to believe that it was true. Friends, it is. It is true. So that's the picture of, of sin. And more importantly, the Father's welcome. But there's actually... Another picture that Jesus goes immediately into. Look with me how Jesus continues. Next verse. Now his older brother was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. Now what should the older brother's response have been? That's great. Dad is going to be so happy. I am also stoked that my idiot younger brother is now home because I was worried about him. And now I can take him off the prayer list. <laughs> Not how it goes down, okay? Look at, look at what's in his heart. 
But he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now, the father tenderly invites the older brother in. Think about what the older brother being on the outside looking in means. Jesus tells a lot of parables about parties that represent the kingdom of God and the welcome of God, and actually the end of history, God being with his people and delighting in us and inviting us to a table that this table is a foretaste of. And actually, the older brother being on the outside looking in at this party, it's a picture of spiritual danger. He's missing something key, something vital. And look at how he speaks to his dad. He doesn't call him father. He says, look, Look at what I've done for you. What did everybody hate about the younger brother? He wanted the father's stuff. Could you just give me the stuff? I don't want to be in a relationship with you. I don't love you. I want to leave you. Could you just give me the stuff, please? What's revealed about the heart of the older brother? What's he really want? What's he in it for? Father, what have you given me? What did I get out of it? He doesn't call. He doesn't love his younger brother. He says he doesn't call him my brother. He calls him the son of yours. Son of yours. There's no love in his heart. There's no grace. And he's on the outside of the party looking in. And this is Jesus welcoming that person back in. And the the context of this parable, here's the surprise trap door in the parable at the end. Who is this meant for? Actually, look with me at Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. This is the context of this parable. First two verses. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. There's younger brother types hanging out with Jesus who have obviously and very visibly blown up their lives in very sad ways. And Jesus is welcoming them, calling to them to repent and follow him, but acting like they're friends or something. The religious leaders are like, Jesus, you eat with them like you like them or something. And that bothers us. You go to their house and you sit around a table and the welcome that Jesus was giving offended them, the church people. And so Jesus, at the end, tells of the father, talking to the younger brother, telling the, he's telling the church people who are offended about the younger brothers coming to Jesus, he's saying, you're actually missing the real party. You're missing what God's doing. And God actually delights to receive them and rejoices in them and runs to receive them and is embracing them and kissing them. And would you come in and share that celebration? Would you come in? You want to be on the outside of this. Jesus is entreating 
the church people to know the joy of the gospel because they don't. This your brother was dead and is alive. He's your brother. He was lost and is found. And Jesus tells, there's two other parables, really, real quick before this, about something being lost and then being found, and then God delighting in that and rejoicing at what is lost, being found. And God says, that's his response when any of us turns to him. That's God's heart. Now, how do we need to think about this and imply this? And I know we're going to, you know, many of you are going to talk about this in community groups this week. How do we apply this? We need to reflect on a couple things. I was uh, reading a blog a friend of mine wrote a few years ago in Philadelphia. He was an artist in Philadelphia, and uh, there'd be all this fun art stuff on it. And so I'm, I'm reading his blog in my home. Weird, there's a picture of me on there. Oh my gosh, what's this about? And it was a picture of me at a wedding wearing a suit, eating a chicken wing. And it was a little bit embarrassing because it looked like it was my first meal out of prison or something. Like I was launching into this chicken wing, just tearing into it. And then I read the caption, and the caption said, Hey, this is my pastor, my friend Steve. When you see him next, he probably won't be wearing a suit. Most like he could be wearing his Cocoa Puffs t-shirt but he most likely will be eating something. And I realized then in that moment, as I looked down, that I was wearing my Cocoa Puffs t-shirt and I was eating something (laughs) at my house in front of the computer. How do we apply this? Where does this picture, where does this picture fit you? That's like the, what we asked, where is this actually? Yeah, that's me. Yeah, you got it. Uh, where am I in this? Let's, let's think about the younger brother life strategy versus the older brother life stra- strategy. The younger brother life strategy has the lawbreaker strategy. I'm going to find life by breaking the rules. If I get to do what I want and just follow my own inner freedom, that'll lead me to freedom in life. Freedom will be found, be found by giving voice to what is within I'm going to break laws, and that will fill my soul. That will give me life. The older brother strategy says, I'm going to find life by keeping the rules. It's that, that way of looking at life. Hey, I'm a good person. I do the right thing. That's like your knee-jerk response. I, the, older, the younger brother says, I don't need God. I'm going to live my life the way I want, and my worth is found in these experiences. The older brother says, I don't need God. I'm good. I'm earning my way. I don't need God. I'm a good person. Do you see what I've done? The older brother, do you see what I've earned? Now, there's actually cultural momentum behind both these strategies. And it comes out in the human heart in different ways. Here are four different follow your heart quotes. Okay. Don't follow a trend, follow your heart. Chris Novoselic, bass player of Nirvana. Listen to advice, but follow your heart. Conway Twitty, country music star. Just wanted to throw that in there because it's fun to say Conway Twitty. Follow your heart and make it your decision. Mia Hamm, soccer star. Steve Jobs. 
Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. Now, when you've got the bass player Nirvana and the soccer star and the, the business icon and the country music guy all saying the same thing, it's the new cliche, right? This is the message. This is Disney now. Follow your heart. And there's a piece of it that's right, actually. It's not all bad. There's a piece of it. There's a way we got the scriptures call us to use our minds to sift things through. And there are traditions and dogma that is false and needs to be overthrown. But the scriptures also say there's things in your heart that won't lead to life. There's things in your heart that need to be made new by the living God. There's ways our hearts need to be made new by God to be who we are actually made to be and called to be and who only God can lead us to be. And we don't find that light. It's not a self-created light. Uh, we need God for that. We are made for God with that. And if we try to like totally self-create it on our own, we, it, it's not going to work. That's the cultural momentum behind the younger son lawbreaker strategy. Okay? That we need to say, okay, hey, wait, I need to check that. The older son lawkeeper strategy, is it different? And this is, okay, the younger son is not in church. He's lost outside church. Older son, that life approach, that person is often lost in the church. They're in the pews all the time. And yet, what we were singing earlier tonight, this is who I am. This is who God, who you are, and who who I am. It doesn't, it's not connecting in a way that leads to life and joy. Example of this. Do you remember in the American version of The Office? It's been off the air now for a few years. But do you remember Angela? She's the Christian on the show. And what's Angela's deal? Do you remember? She never smiles. She judges everybody. She thinks she's better than everybody. She's always like, look at what I've done. And secretly, she's a hypocrite. And our, and our culture rightly is saying religion without the gospel only produces Angelus. Pastor Tim Keller uh, talks about this is irreligion or religion. Irreligion is like, I don't need God. I don't need religion. That's younger brother stuff. Religion is I do it. I do this. I earn it. I'm a good person because of what I've done. Look at what I've done. And neither is the gospel. And some of the pushback, some of the the people's puzzlement with Christianity in this cultural moment is actually because when they've been near churches, they just smell older brother. You know, that churches don't seem to be a place very often where younger brothers are actually welcomed with open arms because we know the Father has welcomed us. And I know that it is, it is Frontline's heart to call the older brothers off the ledge, 
back into the party, churchgoer. You've been going to church for years, yet never the joy of the gospel hasn't penetrated your heart. You don't know grace, and you don't give grace because you've never known that for yourself, and you need to pretend, quit pretending that you're good and just receive the grace of God in a new way. That's Frontline's heart. And it's also Frontline's heart to be a living demonstration to incarnate the Father's open arms to every younger son in the world and come with your broken life like me, like all of us, and receive the grace of Jesus. And I know that's what what your leaders want to do. Two big fears. Younger brother fears being a slave to someone or something. The older brother fears, fears being told you didn't measure up. Two kinds of lostness. One's lost outside the church. One's lost inside. There's one way home to the Father. Yeah. You are called frontline to receive this welcome and actually live it out. And okay, part of talking this out is actually... Finding friends where you talk about your actual sins and struggles. And not in a theoretical way, but like on Tuesday, this is what happened when I did this. And just being reminded from someone looking you in the eye and says, that's why Jesus came and I'm going to pray for you. And here's how you can pray for me. Living this out in community, which is by God's grace, something that this is like why I'm here because of a friend is what we're all called to. It's actually God's grace to us. That's why there's community groups here and in all the Liberty churches. We need to live this out in the real world. And part of what you'll need to figure out, figure out your deal. Okay, are you a younger brother or an elder brother? Which is your picture? Both things are true. We all have a little bit of both. Okay, you got a little bit of both. But it's also like college. You can pick a major. You know, you might be a major older brother with some younger brother studies, you know, on the side that you do. Or you, you might, this, the other thing might be your typical, know what your patterns are and know this, okay? Jesus tells this parable about the father's reckless giving, a son who had squandered a third of his wealth. He says, this is the best robe, son, I love you. And to a son who stamp in his foot like a four-year-old, filled with hate and judgment, he says, son, all I have is yours. You're always with me. And I just want to leave you with this. Is that just a story, or is the reality that good? Is the reality that good? Actually, the reality is that good and better because... God the Father doesn't just give us things. He gave us a son. He gave us a brother. Jesus entered this painful, broken world and died in our place on the cross for all of our sins, all the ways we've stiff-armed him, ignored ignored him, run from him, been content in our self-righteous churchianity, Jesus died for all of that, rose from the dead, and welcomes us home to the Father and lives as our elder brother uh, who loves us and welcomes us. 
Uh, the reality is better, friends. Frontline, you are called to receive the open arms of the Father and to live this out together as a community in this city, displaying that welcome uh, to your part of the world.